Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Three verses, then we will go over to chapter three, and I want you to hold your Bible open so you can look at the verses as we refer to them in the third chapter. Verses 16, 17, and 25. These three verses. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And verse 25, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. Let's pause for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, we have already found your spirit in our midst this morning. We've felt you in our heart. We've felt the stirrings of our soul as we have been led in testimony and in prayer. Now we pray that you will continue to stir us with the power of thy spirit as we look now at your word, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Third chapter is from which we're preaching. I want to title the message, The Beginning of Sin. If I would ask you this morning where sin began, you probably would tell me it began in the Garden of Eden, but you would be wrong. For sin began in heaven. It began in the heart of Lucifer, when he believed that he could take over heaven and throw, overthrow God's throne and become supreme. It did not happen because God remained supreme and therefore Satan looked around, now he is called Satan, where he might uh, cause trouble for God and he looked down upon the earth that God had made and he saw that God had made a man and a woman and put them in that garden and he gave that man and woman the right of choice to be good or to be evil, to be righteous or to be unrighteous, to be saved or to be lost. The same gift, privilege that he has given to man today. Nobody must be saved. All people can be lost if they desire to be so. But he gave them the privilege of again living in the garden of paradise in the presence of God if he chooses. He can reject him if he wants. And into this picture comes Satan to see if he can turn man against God. If he can destroy the very major creation that God had brought in this world, man and his wife. So Satan, in the form of a serpent, the snake, that one time walked upon feet, was the most beautiful of all the creatures that God had made, conferred with Eve, and as they walked through the garden, the serpent said, My, isn't that tree beautiful? Doesn't it have nice fruit upon it? Let's eat of it. 
And Eve said, no, no. All the trees of the garden, the Lord has said we may eat of, except that one. That tree, he has said, we may not eat of it, neither shall we touch it. And the serpent said, really? Is that really true? Do you really think that's what God meant when he said, you shall not eat of that tree? He just planted a little seed of doubt. But caused the woman to begin to wonder, is that really what God said? Perhaps I have misinterpreted, or perhaps God's word is inaccurate. Satan said, now really, you will not die if you eat of that fruit. Satan is still giving us the same message. Man is still doubting the accuracy of God's word. I shall never forget when I was pastoring my first church. I was still a student in college. I had a lady from another denomination attend the Sunday school class that I was teaching on a given morning. I don't remember the topic of conversation, but I remember a statement she made. And she said, I don't believe that God will send anyone to hell. She was doubting the truth of God's word. When Jesus said, except you repent, you will also perish. And men have been doubting this fact ever since Eve began to question the reality of God's word, the truth of it. Men have begun to question whether or not God meant what he said. He gave to Moses ten commandments on the top of that mountain. He wrote them in stone and brought them down and finally gave them to the people. And those ten commandments were full of thou shalt and thou shalt not. But people want to say God was simply suggesting that we do and that we don't do. He wasn't making it real. He was saying it would be a good idea to not sin. It would be a good idea to worship God. It would be a good idea to keep from stealing and committing adultery and lying and all the other things. But God really didn't mean that you ought to, to be that firm in what you do and don't do. We see this evidence today in society. Obedience is old-fashioned. God commanded obedience, but people say we should not have to be obedient. We ought to do our own thing, our own way, go our own path. I don't believe I could teach school today, although I taught for several years, because I'm afraid that I would have difficulty coping with this very attitude that students do not want to obey. But where did they get it? from their parents who have expressed the same attitude of not wanting to obey God's word. <laughs> Obedience is just not practiced anymore. Many of our churches want to preach a social gospel which says this, in effect, just be good. 
That's all you got to do. Be good. And you'll get to heaven. But Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. None of us would exceed that. Yes, it's easy religion. It's the broad road. But Jesus made it very narrow when he said, I am the door. And any man that gets in any other way or tries to get in any other way is a thief and a robber. There's only one way. God is definite in his word. There is no question about what God meant. When he said the only way into heaven is through Jesus Christ, his son. And yet you can find it preached and taught across our land that you can find ways into heaven besides through Jesus Christ. So the doubts are installed and people begin to question and they go to hell because they will not believe in the exact word of God. Now, let's go further, down to verse 6. The doubt had been cast in her mind, and so she began to, to look around, and, the, and she did three things. Verse 6, she saw that the tree was good for food. First thing she did. To satisfy the physical desires of one's life is a tremendous passion. There are so many things that we think we must have and we must be in this life to be satisfied. When Satan took Jesus into the wilderness and there tempted him for those 40 days after it was over with, after Jesus was there that period of time, he hadn't eaten and he was very hungry and Satan said, well, you've got the power. Take those rocks and convert them into bread to satisfy your own appetites. Been so easy to do. I'm not saying that we don't have a desire for things that are physical in life. We certainly do. But those physical desires become so supreme in us that we can't think about spiritual things. Sin is sweet tasting. I can remember when I was in school, particularly in high school, where it seems to be the vulnerable time, there certainly was the desire to be popular, well-liked by friends. That desire has not yet escaped me, and I doubt it has escaped you, for we want to be liked and respected by people about us. And in order to be liked and respected by people about us, we're going to have to conform to their standards or else they won't like us and respect us. I cannot believe that orange hair sticking in all directions is very pretty. But in order to be liked and respected in some circles, you must wear orange hair sticking in all directions. Or you must shave it in a mohawk style. Oh, you must wear the shortest of all skirts. That used to be the thing back several years ago when my daughter was in that stage. Some of you 
drank your first alcoholic drink because you wanted to be popular with your friends. I hope none of you have ever taken drugs, but I would dare say if you've ever even thought about it, it was because you wanted to be liked, and that was the thing to do, the in thing. We are in a stage of wanting to be in. The second greatest drive in our life is that of sex. And because it is a thing to be in, people commit sex that really do not want to. Girls think that they must have participated, and boys must have, have been uh, achievers in this area in order to be a part of society. It tastes so good until it hits the belly, and then it turns sour. And the consequences are not that which one thought it might be. So Eve looked at the tree because it looked so good for food to satisfy her physical needs. And she looked and saw it, and it, it was something beautiful. It, it, it made her eyes light up. Sin is beautiful. There is no doubt about that. This is the way we start sinning, is we start looking. If you are halfway interested in buying an automobile, but you know that you ought not because your finances just aren't good enough, there's one thing I would suggest you don't do. You don't go down to the car lot and look. How many of you, along with me, have been caught in that little trap? Pontiac builds excitement, I tell you. And when those automobiles goes across that TV screen, it makes me want to go look. And if I look, I might buy. But if we kept our eyes on Jesus Christ, the things of this world would go strangely beyond. Where are we looking? And then there's something that would make her wise, and who can resist that? All right. Now, those are the things she did. So she took of the fruit and she ate. She ate. Look at verse 6. She saw it was good for food, she was pleasant to the eyes, desired to make one wise, and then threw down at the bottom. She gave also to her husband. She not only ate of this fruit, but she gave some to Adam. Let me suggest to you that one seldom sins alone. Your sin will affect somebody. I've heard it said many, many times, and I've had it said directly to me as I've counseled with people, well, what I'm doing is hurting nobody but myself. Listen, folks, don't you believe that? You cannot sin alone without it affecting somebody. You're going to hurt your parents. You're going to hurt your children. You're going to hurt your friends. You're going to hurt your church. But most of all, you're going to hurt the Savior who died on the cross. Numbers 32:23 says, Be sure your sins will find you out. 
Now think back in your own life with those secret sins you thought you committed, only to discover that somebody knew about it. I have a deacon friend of mine, deacon of one of the churches that I pastored some years back, that I love very dearly. And he got himself into a situation where he began to look. And he knew for a while he looked, and then he did. And he thought that he had sinned by himself, and nobody knew anything about it. Except every member of the church knew about it. The pastor knew about it. And the person on the street knew about it. And finally his wife learned about it. And the day came when he realized that he had not sinned alone, but that he had hurt his wife and his children by the sin he had committed. He had hurt his church. He had hurt his witness. But above all, he had hurt the Christ that he promised to serve. One Sunday morning, unbeknown that he was going to do this to anybody, he walked down the aisle the end of the service, and he turned around with tears in his eyes. He confessed his sin, that he had looked and he had done, and that he had hurt everyone about him. He had brought disaster to his family and to his church, and he begged everybody for forgiveness. Now, when we will admit our sin, that we have done and beg for forgiveness for the people that we've hurt and forgiveness from God against whom we have sinned, then we'll begin to see a change in our lives and a change in the church and there will be revival. Now look what they did. The first thing they did was in verse 7 was to sow some fig leaves because they were ashamed of themselves and they wanted to cover their own nakedness. And then God came walking in the cool of the day that he might fellowship with them and they hid from him there in verse 8. But listen, the scripture says you cannot hide from God. You can hide from me and I might never know. You can hide from the church and they may never know. You can hide from your friends and maybe from the stranger on the street, but I guarantee you, if there is secret sin in your life, you have partaken of the fruit hanging on the forbidden tree. God knows. As a result of their sin, things begin to happen. Sin is a separator. Sin divides people from people and people from God. There are many husbands and wives who have split up and are considering divorce or have divorced or maybe even ought to divorce as far as that's concerned because it's gone that far. But it's all happened because they, one of them or both of them have decided to do that which was contrary to God's will. I don't know if any of you husbands and wives are having difficulty this morning, whether you're on good speaking terms or not, but in the average, there would be some couple in a congregation of this size who are not on good terms. If you will honestly consider the problems that you're having in your own home, you will discover that it goes back to something that one of you or both of you have done that is against God's will. And it has brought separation between you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your children. 
But most of all, it separates between a person and his God. Now look down in verse 12, and I'm hurrying just a little bit. Some other things I'd like to say, but I won't this morning. When God found them out, they came out from behind the trees and said, Well, we were naked, and so we hid ourselves. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam says, Well, that woman, she gave it to me. And he said, That serpent, he's the one that did it. We want to blame somebody else for our own problems. I think it's time that men and women grow up to bear their own burdens on their own shoulders and admit their own sin and quit blaming somebody else for causing it. I do not adhere to this philosophy that it's the home that caused the person to go bad or the community or the church. I'll grant you all of those have some influence, but I will never believe that an adult individual can blame his mom and dad for his waywardness, for he's a man that has a mind and a will of his own to do that which he or she wants to do. And if you go astray, you may go astray because you've been guided that way, uh, partly by your family or by the church or by the community, but I guarantee you when you get to a point of meeting Jesus Christ at the judgment, he's not going to ask the family, what about your situation? He's going to ask you. And you're going to have to answer for yourself. So let's be honest with each other and admit that we ate of the fruit of the forbidden tree. And quit saying somebody else caused me to do it. Let's confess our sins before God and not blame somebody else. Now, quickly, the judgment. The serpent was permitted to, to crawl on his belly for the rest of, of, of his life. And so we have the snake now down on the ground crawling around where once he, he will walk upright. But the important ones that we need to see is in verse 16. The judgment upon the woman was very severe. There are two things that he said about her. Number one, that she will have sorrow in childbirth, and certainly that many times is true, but also she will be dominated by her husband. We can look back through history and discover in every society that this world has ever brought forth that this has been the truth. Women have been dominated by their husbands to the point, in many cases, of nothing more than servitude. Slaves, property that can be cast aside at the slightest whim. But listen, there came a change. Women, you no longer are in that position of servitude. When Jesus Christ came into this world, he made all people equal. And you are as much a child of God as is any man. And Paul said to the Galatians in 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You talk about a liberator. Abraham Lincoln can't hold a candle to the liberator Jesus Christ, who made all people equal in the sight of God. And he loves women 
as well as men. That curse was lifted by the price paid by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The man was cursed, the ground was cursed. And if you think that we haven't been cursed, my mind. This ground has been difficult from that day to this. Everything that man does goes back to the ground in some way. All of the storms, the floods, the fires, the ravages of nature are against the ground. And we pay the consequences because of our sin. But, there's a good note. By Eve came sin into the world, and also by Eve comes victory over sin. God already had a plan. He said to the serpent, you will bruise the heel of the seed of this woman, but he will bruise your head. Referring all the way from the third chapter of Genesis clear to the time of Christ, that there would come a man into this world born of woman, the Son of God, who would be the final victor over Satan and would stomp his head. Man was put out of paradise back here in the book of Genesis. But listen, man will return. Man will return. Go over to the last verse of this third chapter where it says that he put cherubims and a flaming sword to turn everyone away that would attempt to get into the garden into back into paradise. And here's why he put them there, the last phrase, to keep the way of the tree of life. Did you see that? The tree of life has been preserved. It has not gone out of existence. And it will be made available to those who believe and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There was an ultimate curse, and I'll state it very quickly. He said to Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. In sin you die, folks. You will pay for your sin with your own life, or you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that God will accept as a substitute for your death, and you will live. Revelation 22, 14, and with this verse I shall close. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the city. We have the right to the tree of life. That was preserved from the very garden of Eden. Satan could not destroy it. Have you had your part in those that will partake of the tree of life? Do you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Or is Satan still deceiving you and turning your mind and heart away from God? And casting doubts that surely there must be some other way. But if you read this word, you will find there is no other way, no except through Jesus Christ to have eternal life. You can have it this morning if you don't already have it by accepting Him as your Lord and Savior.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.